Amen. Be turning to Romans chapter 1, would you? Romans chapter 1. We're going to jump around quite a bit tonight, so this will just be the first place we actually go to. Um, Everything will be on the screen tonight since it's a topical series, and uh, that helps us move along pretty quick. Um, Last week, we we began this series, uh, Theology for Life, and I felt like Pastor David uh, kicked us off phenomenally well because he introduced us to this dangerous dichotomy between Christian theology and Christian life or Christian behavior. That, that gap between what we know about God up here and then how we live for God. Um, tonight, we're going to start diving into the first doctrine that we'll study in this series, and that's the doctrine of Scripture. I think you're going to understand from the message tonight that I'm not just going to teach you what the Bible is and how we know it's true. I'm going to teach you why that's important for your life and based on what the Bible says about itself, how that ought to inform your behavior and your actions. We're going to try to blend both of those together, theology and application uh, for life. In my opinion, I feel like it's nearly impossible to overstate the importance of the doctrine we're going to talk about tonight when I, when I speak of Scripture. And here's why. Because it's the trustworthiness of Scripture upon which every other foundational doctrine rests. Do you agree with that? Um, if there's no such thing as God-breathed Scripture, then there's no such thing as absolute moral truth, is there? If there's no such thing as absolute truth, then I'm left to decide for myself what truth is based on my own experience or my own personality. And how many know there are plenty of people that try to say such things today? This idea of no absolute truth isn't new. In fact, it's been one of the main attacks on Christianity for centuries. We call it today theological liberalism. When someone says they're a Christian... But they deny the absolute authority and truth of the Bible. So there's obviously what what many would refer to as political liberalism. We're not talking about that when I say liberalism. It's not anywhere on my radar. Politics is nowhere on my radar. I'm talking about theological liberalism. Somebody that says they're a Christian, but they deny the absolute authority of the word of God. That's a theological liberal. But hear me. It's not just the liberals who believes such a thing. We all battle the flesh. In fact, since the beginning of mankind, Satan has tried to get us, even Christians, to deny the authority of God's word. How did he speak to Eve? Yea, hath God said? Since the beginning of time, Satan has been trying to get us to deny undervalue the word of God and its authority in our life. So needless to say, this doctrine of scripture is not something we need to take for granted or take lightly. It's not something like, okay, I believe the Bible. I know it's absolute truth. And like, can we move on to the thing I don't know about? No, it's incredibly important because not everybody might know what you know about the Bible in our congregation. But secondly, it's incredibly important for me to stir up your remembrance about these things. 
For me to be remind, remind you of these doctrines, even key doctrines of the faith again and again. Now, I hope to do a comprehensive study, um, a series of messages on the doctrine of bibliology as a whole later down the road, much later down the road. But, but for tonight, we're just going to cover the main themes of the doctrine. You really can't cover bibliology in one message. We're talking about an entire sermon series uh, to cover the different aspects of bibliology. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the main themes of the doctrine of Scripture that, that are just undeniable, that, that we cannot breeze by. That's the necessity of Scripture, that's the authority of Scripture, and that's the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay, let's talk about those. Number one, Scripture is necessary. Scripture's necessary. Now, God reveals himself to mankind in a couple of different ways, not just through Scripture. God gave us creation and our conscience to teach us about his existence and basic morality. This is where Romans 1 comes in. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So God created the world, watch this, not only to bring us pleasure through its beauty and and then sustain us through the world's resources, he also created the world with a significant moral purpose. This is very important when you're talking to lost folks about God and his existence and what all of this means. So so you need to get this, that Romans is clear that that creation itself confronts us with God's existence and, and nature. Every morning when we get up, hear me, we bump into God and we come face to face with his existence when we breathe his air. If we were to deny to deny God's existence... Listen, it would require an active suppression of the truth that he tries to reveal through general revelation, creation. But as powerful of a witness as creation is, listen, it cannot tell us all we need to know about God in order to have a relationship with him. That's where the word of God comes into play. We need the scriptures to give us the additional revelation we need to understand ourselves, to understand our God, and then to understand the gospel. God in his grace was kind enough to to reveal himself to some people and then give them the blessing of what we call special revelation. General revelation would be like creation. Special revelation comes through God's words to man. Sometimes that special revelation would, would be through dreams or some sort of appearance or through a prophet or written scripture. It's this scripture that, that the special revelation that God created, that tells us that God created us to have a relationship with him. It's this scripture that tells us that we've broken that relationship by our own, our own sin. And it's this scripture that tells us how to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Be thankful tonight, Christian, that God allowed you to have access to the special revelation of the scriptures. Without it, you wouldn't know Jesus. Wycliffe Bible Translators is an organization that is dedicated to translating the scriptures 
into all languages. They do this because, I quote, unless people have the Bible in the language they understand best, they cannot read his message of life, hope, and salvation. They said this, millions of people still don't have a single verse of Scripture. We should be thankful to God for providentially allowing us to be born in a country that has access to his word in our language. But we should also have a burden to add fire to the spread of God's word to those who don't have it in their language. Right? So first of all, God's word is necessary for what? For salvation. For sanctification, for spiritual growth. Notice, secondly, Scripture is authoritative. This is very important. It's authoritative. The Bible claims that all its words are God's word. In fact, the Old Testament phrase, thus saith the Lord, appears over 400 times in Scripture. Here's a couple verses for you. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This claims that all scripture is literally breathed out by God. It's God's words to man. Second Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The ultimate source of every prophecy is God's action through the Holy Ghost. And it's the Holy Spirit that then takes the, the word of God and convinces man's heart that it is God's word. This is so important. First Corinthians two, look at this, which things also we speak, not in the words, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So apart from the work of the spirit of God, a person will not receive spiritual truths and certainly will not accept them as authoritative from God. That's the Holy Spirit's job in our life to, to illuminate, illuminate those things to us, to convince us that this is God's authoritative Word, John 10, 27, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What does that mean? Those in whom the spirit is working have a recognition that the words of the Bible are the words of God. We know his voice because the Holy Spirit confirms that and helps us. And then I'd say this, since the Bible is the word of God, here's where the application comes in. Your response to his word matters. If you believe that it is authoritative, that will show up in your life. The the commands of scripture are meant to be obeyed in every single situation without exception. We can listen uh, all we want in the service, but hear me, if the words of God are not allowed to shape our lives through the week, then can we really say that we respect its authority? Let this thought be a reminder that that when you and I disobey the Bible, our primary transgression is not against the one that taught us the Bible. It's not against the pastor. It's not against the youth pastor. It's not against the Christian school teacher. It's not against the parents or the grandparents. 
The primary transgression is against God himself and his authority in your life because it is the words of God. The weight of that alone should compel us to, to, to take it seriously when scripture confronts us and then, and then calls on us to reform a certain part of our life. This is why, why believing, being a Christian will, will always mean believing and claiming things that go against the grain of culture. Okay, this isn't new. It's always been this way. If you live your life with the Bible as authoritative, hear me, you will run up against other ideas. And we are, we are encountering that almost on a weekly basis in our society. That's why you have to be convinced this is more than just a really good book. This is the words of God. You've got to be convicted of that in your heart because when push comes to shove and, and, and you're called on the carpet about some things and your, your life runs into the culture's interpretation, our view of certain things in, in the world, then you're going to be faced with a choice. And, it's, and sometimes those choices will be easier than others. Sometimes what, what, you, what your life runs against because you follow the Bible, it doesn't really affect you what they think because they're distant from you or, or, or because you're like, you're so settled in that it doesn't even phase you. But there will come a time, whether it's, a, it, it's because it affects your career or it affects your job or it affects your money or whatever the case, affects your health or whatever the case might be, your, your life will immediately come right here to an intersection where you're going to have to choose the, the, the authority of culture or the authority of God's word. And you have got to make a predecision. You have got to be predetermined in your heart that God's word will prevail. Because you really believe that it's the authority. Daniel chapter 1. Apparently Daniel made a predecision about some things that he was convicted of in the Torah and related to dietary laws. Because when he got taken out of... Uh, 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 of uh, Someone help me. Where was he at? Jerusalem. Taken out from the Hebrew people, whatever. He got taken out, put in Babylon. That's what I was looking for. He got put in Babylon. And he got put around Nebuchadnezzar's table with all the other Hebrew boys. And that meat and the king's drink got, got put in front of him. As far as you know, he, he, he was maybe the only one that stood up against that. Said, I will not partake of that. I won't eat that and I won't drink that. That's a whole other message why he didn't do it. But it goes back to the fact that he learned that in the Torah. He learned that in the law and he was convicted of that before he ever got to the table. Are you with me? He was convicted that before he got to the table and we got to be convicted about the authority of God's word before we get to Babylon. Before we get to the table. This is why I'm telling you, if you're going to send your child to, to a secular university, you better make sure that they are convinced of some things before they head there. Because their professors are convinced of some things. And the peers they'll be going to class with are convinced of some things. And if they're flimsy on some things, their life might run up against it. And if they're not convicted of God's word as the authority for their life, or or if they just don't even know God's word well, then when they sit at the table, they're going to be eating the meat. Get what I'm saying? It's true. It's absolutely true. We got to be convinced of God's authority, of the word of God. And let me say this. If, if you really believe that the word of God is your sole authority, 
then you'll be on guard against voices of influence in your life that are functionally becoming more authoritative than Scripture. I want to say it again. If you really believe that the Word of God is your sole authority, then you will be on guard against voices of influence in your life that are functionally more authoritative than Scripture. Things you start believing and listening to more than you believe and listen to the Word of God. Professors and teachers at school who are theological liberals. YouTube videos that lead you down rabbit holes of an extreme view on particular issues. Friends and family members who put pressure on you to compromise biblical convictions. Books, podcasts, and articles that twist scripture to fit their preference. And and they censor certain scriptures to tolerate their sinful lifestyle. And they call it Christian. If you really believe in the authority of the Bible, you will guard against anything or anybody else becoming a greater authority in your life. Amen. The authority of Scripture. The Scripture is necessary. Scripture is authoritative. Let's do one more. Scripture is sufficient. It's sufficient. I love this. Now let me tell you what it doesn't mean. When I say Scripture is sufficient, that doesn't mean that the Bible answers every question you bring to it. Some people would say that I think they mean well, but they're wrong. The Bible answers every question you have in life. That's just not true. It's better than that. The Bible raises the questions you need to be asking. And then it answers those questions. Scripture contains every, literally everything we need to get saved. Do you understand that? That's amazing. Everything you need to enter into a relationship with God and to be guaranteed of heaven for all of eternity. Everything you need to know about that is in the Bible. Everything you need to know about trusting God during difficult times is in the Bible. Everything you need to know about completely obeying God is in the Bible. I want to read those verses in 2 Timothy 3 again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's good. For what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. I love this next verse. That, or you could say, so that. The man of God may be perfect. What does that mean? Sufficient. He explains it. Thoroughly furnished, equipped unto all good works. Scripture is everything you and I need to live a life of godliness. It's everything you need. It speaks to so many things. Think about this. It speaks to things such as our sense of identity. It speaks to the way we make decisions, to the way we shape our friendships, to the way we approach our education, to the way we pursue our jobs and careers, to the way we approach romance and marriage, to the way we parent our children, how we deal with conflict, how we handle success and failure, the things we do with our money, where we look for fulfillment, how we deal with difficulty, the way we deal with media and entertainment, our relationship to the church, to the body of Christ. I'm telling you, God's word is enough. It's sufficient. What does that mean for you today? Here's what it means. You ought to read it. You ought to know it. And you ought to live it. Let me ask you this. If I could listen in on and watch one month of your life, what would I conclude about the place of God's word in your life? Would your decision making reveal that you're in God's word? 
Would your responses and attitudes reveal that you're in God's word? Would your emotional maturity through difficult times of life reveal you're in God's word? Would your spending habits reveal that you're in God's word? Would your words reveal that you're in God's word? I'm convinced, church, that that a primary problem with so many churches today is that they are full of members who have a low level of biblical literacy and a lack of theological understanding. Members who are not students of the Bible for themselves and who are only fed from Scripture once a week by a pastor. I think that's a fundamental problem in churches today. If Scripture, listen, is more valuable than food, which the Bible says it is, why would we only concern ourselves with its teaching one day a week? We eat food more than once a week. Certainly Jesus wouldn't have pictured scores of Christians who have the most privileged access to the completed canon of Scripture in history, yet not reading it for themselves throughout the week. That's not what Jesus pictures. The result of this anemic diet of the Bible is that we tend to develop wrong thoughts about God, wrong thoughts about other people, And wrong ways of living in general. I'll prove it to you. Think about how many times Jesus rebuked his listeners behavior in the Gospels. By tying it to their failure to carefully read the Bible. Jesus often began a rebuke of religious people with these words. Have ye not read? I'll show you. Matthew 12. He's talking about the Sabbath. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, religious people, they said unto him, behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Now Jesus rebukes them. He said unto them, have ye not read what David did? Have ye not read? Do you not understand what David did when he was in hunger and they that were with him? Matthew 19. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Talking about divorce. Jesus answered and said unto them, have ye not read? Have you not studied the scripture? Do you not understand the Bible that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Then he goes on to explain his position. Matthew 21, 16. It's talking about God's attitude toward children. And he said unto them, hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto him, Yea, have ye never read that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Matthew 22, he speaks of God's view of the resurrection. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Time and time again, the people in Jesus' day could not understand what Christ was doing. And Jesus attributed this often to one reason. They hadn't taken scripture reading seriously. And I'm going to be honest, as a spiritual leader, oftentimes I sit across from people in my office and I want to say this. Have ye not read? Have ye not read? Pastor, what am I supposed to do when this happens? Have ye not read? 
Oh, we're having this problem. What do you think? Have ye not read? I understand there's times when you just need another person to guide you in how to apply those scriptures and, 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 and kind of mediate a conversation. And believe me, believe me, I'm happy as is Brother David and other pastoral staff members to do that. So I'm not trying to get across that message at all. But I, I do sympathize a little bit with Jesus here. Talking to church people who didn't understand the scripture. And, and I want to challenge you to, to, to really look at your habits and thoughts and words and attitudes and responses and, and, and put them next to scripture and, and, and really evaluate how much of your behavior is informed by scripture and how much is not. Because there's times I look at even my own life and I say, hold up a second. That is not in the Bible, Tyler. There's no way God's word informed what you just said. There's no way. And there's times when I hear or see things on social media from Christians, from various church members. I'm like, there's no way. There is no way that's in scripture. You guys get what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I am burdened as... As I revealed at the first Sunday of the year about this Bible reading plan, because in my conversations the last couple of years with not a few in our church, it burdens me um, just the lack of theological understanding that we have as a people, as a people, The, the lack of like basic foundational things we understand about God's word that I'm telling you would change your marriage if you understood them. Would change the way you spent money if you understood them. Would change the way you dealt with conflict in your life if you understood them. And, and, and I, I'm just, I, I'm not trying to, to berate. I'm just trying to share with you a burden. Like if you really understand God's word, really, really study and read and study and read and study and read and listen and meditate and memorize, it makes a difference in your life. I'm not talking about being able to walk up to you and saying, hey, what does Revelation 18 verse 3 say? That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about grasping what God says for you to do in his word. Not to be able to win a Bible trivia game, but to be able to inform you on life's journey. His, his word is a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. But you've got to take the light out of the shed. You've got to turn it on. It's ready to guide you. It's an amazing guide. But, but as I'm pressing, let me give you one more caution. As I'm pressing for you to be in God's word daily, let me give you just a warning. Sometimes I think we view the word of God as kind of like a cosmic encyclopedia. It's just supposed to make our life easier, like a Christian for dummies book. Well, the problem with seeing the Bible like this is that we'll only go to it when we feel like we need it to do something for us. We'll only go to it when we need it to get something done on our behalf. That's a dangerous way to approach scripture. Uh, Joel B. Green warns of this approach. This is so good. He says, it is easy to turn time with scripture into a game of 20 questions. How to have a happy relationship, learn financial faithfulness or whatever. A sharp line can be drawn between approaches that treat the Bible as a how-to manual or a database for addressing my questions and the formation of scripture-shaped minds that understand God and God's creation through scripture-shaped lenses. The latter requires patient, deliberate reading. 
reading as it were for no good reason, but for the sake of having our dispositions and reflexes shaped by scripture. What's the bottom line? The bottom line is that your time in the Bible is more about what God is doing in you, whether you feel it or not, and less about what you're doing for yourself. It's not a self-help guide. That's not what it is. You can find those at bookstores all over the place. This is God's, this is God's revelation of himself to you. And there's going to be some times in this Bible reading plan that I hope you're, you're participating in, that you're not just going to feel this just bubbly feeling in your soul. You're not going to know what God did through the Bible in your life that specific day, perhaps, but you better believe God's doing something. He's revealing himself bits and pieces to you as you apply yourself to know him through his word. I want to read one more verse. Psalms 119, 97 through 100. Would you read these verses out loud with me? Engage with me and read these and then I'll give you a quote and we'll go home. Let's read together. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are never ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Paul David Tripp, one of my favorite authors, he says this is a long quote. If you, if you pay attention to it, it'll help you. If you really believe that the Bible is the word of God, preserved by God for you, wouldn't it be the most valuable, esteemed, treasured, and well-used possession in your life? Would you not love the moments when you could sit with it, read it carefully, study its content, and meditate on its implications? Wouldn't you commit yourself to be an avid reader and a lifelong student of the word of God? Wouldn't you work to be sure that you have understood and interpreted it correctly? Wouldn't you treasure the teachers and preachers whom God has raised up to walk you through his word? Wouldn't you want to make sure that everything you desire, think, say, and do was done in a joyful submission and careful obedience to the word of God? Wouldn't you want to apply it to every area of your life? Wouldn't you run to its comfort and heed its call? Wouldn't it have more influence over your decisions than your friends, Google, or the voices on Twitter? Wouldn't biblical literacy and theological knowledge be your lifelong quest? Wouldn't you be looking for every opportunity to share its glorious message with others? If the Bible that we have in our houses and can hold in our hands is the word of God, shouldn't what I have described above be true of all of us? It is one thing, friend, to preach that God's word is sufficient and authoritative and necessary. It's it's one thing to say, amen, preacher. It's sufficient, authoritative and necessary. But whether or not we really believe that shows up in whether or not we read it. It's that simple. Whether or not you run to it. Whether or not you rely on it. You can have a head knowledge of it all day long. It's a whole different ballgame when you have a heart knowledge. I hope, church, that God's word is at the center of your life every single day day. I hope that it's like your necessary food. You have recognized you cannot live without it. I mean, if if you're not reading it every day, I know that we try our best to preach and teach the word of God, but don't you feel a little bit anemic throughout the week? If you're honest, don't you feel a little bit lost sometimes throughout the week? 
a little bit too reliant on your own experience and your own instincts throughout the week, extra biblical material that you listen to? Why not this week? I mean, starting tomorrow, why not treat the word of God as your meal? That necessary. Your nutrition. You've got to have it to live. You've got to have it. I want us to respond to this message. Miss Kay, why don't you come and pick a song to play tonight? We won't sing, but we will pray. And the response is twofold to this message. The response, I think, from all of us should be one of gratitude, first of all. We live in a country where we have unending access to the Bible in our language. That is amazing. And I know Wednesdays can be tired and all of that, but if that goes over our heads, we have missed the entire sermon tonight. If something about what was said about the Bible tonight does not spark within you gratitude or this thought, what would I do without it? What would I do? Think about it. What would I do without John 3.16? Where would you be without for God so loved the world? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting. Where would you be without that? Where would you be without that, that, that passage in Revelation that promises heaven? The new heaven, the new earth. No tears, no sorrow, no pain. Where would you be without 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that promises that those who sorrow because they lose loved ones, they, they don't have to sorrow with, with, in a hopeless manner. Because we will be reunited with them and the Lord forevermore. Where would you be without that? Hopeless. That's where you'd be. And so I think we all should stop long enough tonight to recognize God has given us a gift. You're in America. You understand English. And you're in a church that preaches and magnifies the word of God every week. The least we could do tonight is say thank you. Thank you, God. Second response is this. We should submit. You say you believe it's authoritative. You say you believe it's sufficient. You say you believe it's necessary. Are you submitted to what it says in your life? I mean, fully submitted in every area. Or has the Holy Spirit kind of pinpoint something in which you know you're, you're, you're really living on the edge of what the Bible says? And you know that, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to a place of submission tonight in that area of your life. To line yourself up with the word of God. If that's the case, say thank you and then say I'm sorry. God, help me to submit to your word as the authority for my life and practice. The church said amen. amen. Stand